Welcome to Desks and Dusters, PBJ Cleaning Depot's very own podcast. We are going to have so much fun on this adventure together. We are going to talk to our reps. We are going to talk to my fellow employees. And we're going to see what's going on right here in our own community. Good afternoon, everybody. Today is Wednesday, May 12th. And welcome to episode 33 of Desks and Dusters. It is May, so we are talking mental health with Terry from Huron Perth Center. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. How, always happy to chat about our work and how it can be of, of value to other people. Awesome. So let's just start with what is the Huron Perth Centre? The Huron Perth Centre is an accredited child and youth mental health um, centre. Uh, we're funded by the Ministry of Health for our child and youth mental health services. And we've been in operation since 1977. Uh, so you know, a long history. We began in Clinton in Huron County only. And then as um, it was actually the Perth County Health Unit invited us to provide service into Perth. And that led us to be in Stratford. And shortly after that, we then uh, had an office in Listable and we've been in Listable since the mid eighties. Um, so we certainly try and be present to kids and families that need our help. Um, we're all community-based, meaning that uh, people are see us in the community. We, we see them in the office. We might see them in their homes or in schools. It, obviously, during the pandemic, we've moved to virtual service. And that's that's been a, a good thing for lots of families because it's re reduced you know, the travel and the time it takes to uh, keep appointments. It's not been ideal for everyone, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we work to try and, and do what we need to do. And we are providing some in-person service uh, even during a stay-at-home order, because we're considered essential. Um, if kids need more than what we can provide it at uh, community-based services, uh, then we would bridge them to other options, whether that was um, needing a referral to psychiatry, we would work with family doctors. If they were needing uh, live-in treatment, um, which is the new name for residential, what we used to call residential treatment. Uh, and there are very few times, but there are times when kids need to be hospitalized and we're usually a part of that in some way. But our, our role is mainly in the community. And uh, we work closely with schools, doctors, police, children's aid, you know, whoever interfaces with kids and families, then that's where we are. And we serve birth to 18. It's, it's free, confidential. That's beautiful. So some of the statistics I want to talk about and numbers here are an estimated, estimated 1.2 million children and youth in Canada are affected by mental health, yet less than 20% of them will receive appropriate treatment. By age 25, approximately 20% of Canadians will have developed a mental health illness. Youth who are engaged in child and adolescent Mental health services who require continued services are also often not well supported as they prepare to enter the adult and mental health system. Yet 70% of mental health problems uh, have onset during childhood and adolescent. So how important is it to identify these symptoms in our youth and in children and stop using the excuse of you're young, you're emotional, you're you're a young adolescent and you're hormonal. That's what I was always told. You're just super hormonal. 
oh, you're going through puberty. It's just emotions. Really? Since I was like, since I was five? No. So you, you're singing my song. Um, we would say the earlier the intervention, the better. Uh, you're absolutely right that um, struggles that we see in adults, adults, um, we learn that they began at, at an early stage. Um, the challenge has been, there's, there's multiple challenges. So I'll just try and um, succinctly kind of bean off um, what I, I understand. And I've been in the field now for 30 years. Um, the need for services has been far greater than the capacity of the services. So that creates a huge barrier for folks if they're looking for something. Historically, there's been long waits. There's been huge changes in our system. So families don't wait uh, to get connected to us. They might wait for a specialty or a particular form of counseling, but they don't wait for that initial contact. But our ability to provide service to every single person that ever needed it, if they all were to call, we couldn't do it. So, you know, the capacity of the system has been one of our challenges. Stigma has been another. Uh, and then I guess as it relates to kids, um, kids often show their distress in behavior. And so it just gets seen as bad behavior or bad parenting, or uh, it's pushed off to the side, you know, in your circumstance, you know, so it was, it was explained as hormonal or that you'd grow out of it. Um, but there are so many reasons why kids will show distress through behavior that you can't presume that it's anything until you start digging a little deeper. It, you know, it, it can be a child protection concern. It can be a physiological problem. It can be violence in the home and it can be mental health because behavior just looks like bad behavior. Exactly. So, so kids oftentimes are misdiagnosed. We, we work hard not to jump to a diagnostic label. We work hard to understand what is the child and their circumstance? What's the, what's the context in which the child lives? So, because that just offers you so much insight and, and then a direction about how best to proceed. Um, we see parents to be experts in their kids. So while, while they might not understand what's going on, they, they brought the child into the world and or adopted the child, have spent way more time with the child than any other um, person typically. And so we always want to partner with parents to be able to see it through their eyes. What do they understand? What are they seeing? Are they struggling? That's not to say that all children will share what they might be struggling with. There will be certainly circumstances that the parent won't be as aware and Again, so many reasons I couldn't possibly cover them all, but we we see parents to be a valuable um, resource to to the to the child, and then obviously we look for other people that are in the child's life that might also have an understanding, and that usually leads us to their their schools, their teachers, um, other significant people they would identify would have an understanding of them. Um, so you know, stigma, the capacity of the system. Uh, and then the fact that uh, kids' challenges aren't easily recognized to be mental health concerns because they can't use words sometimes to say what it feels like inside or what they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And not just that, but when it's something that has been so, like thinking back to myself, that it's so continuous, mm -hmm. you just grow up in life thinking you're weak. Because well, that for sure, you, you might think you're weak. People just write it off. That's just so-and-so. 
yeah, there, there are things. And, and frankly, sometimes it takes fresh eyes for you to see what you might have been chronically living with. Mm-hmm. So as, the, as the person suffering, you might, you might have just acclimatized yourself that that's the way it is. I cry all the time or I don't cope well with X. Um, parents, I mean, at some point when you're living with somebody each and every day, you kind of get used to that. Exactly. And sometimes it's the fresh eyes of the neighbor, your aunt, grandma, uh, the school that would say, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's normal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and then of course it's, it's hard for people to make that first call. No one wants to think that they're struggling or that their child is struggling, but as you said it best, many of these things start in childhood. So if there's a way to check it out and follow up on something at an earlier stage, it's way easier for us to turn it around at a younger stage than when people have been living with something for a long time. Exactly. Now, I'm not that old. I'm in my 30th year of life. I'm looking back to what it was like for me. Um, I was aggressively bullied mentally, physically, emotionally from kindergarten to the day I graduated to my fifth year of university or sorry, fifth year of high school. College was the first time that I was almost bully free and pretty much free. And that's when I was diagnosed with mental health wasn't until college. And looking back, there was never a conversation, never any education when it came to mental health until I was in grade nine. It was one class. We went, it was gym class. We spent one class in a portable. We talked about depression. We talked about eating disorders and we talked about bipolar and schizophrenia. That was it. And it's nothing against the teacher because I know this teacher personally, and she's a fabulous woman. It was the material given to her that she had to teach. There's been huge, huge, yeah, Yeah, there have been huge changes since that time. So, I mean, that's good news. And that's not to say that we, we need to stop because um, uh, what we may be doing now might be a whole lot more than what was happening for you. And definitely more than what even happened for my parents or, or your parents, but that there's, there's lots of work to be done. Mm-hmm. So one of the big changes was a couple of years ago, three ministries came together and made a commitment to make some changes to child and youth mental health. And it was through the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education, and the Ministry of Child and Youth um, Services at the time. There were investments made to each of those uh, through those ministries. And that started to put some money to those systems to try and make a difference. One of the differences was naming lead agencies to provide lead service within an area. So here in Perth Centre is the lead agency for our area. One of the differences in in education was naming mental health leads to work with school boards. And so we have two fabulous mental health leads that have been working with our two school boards since 2014, uh, possibly possibly 2012. And anyway, they've been working to develop a mental health strategy to, to, to teach teachers on the ground so that they can teach some skills uh, incorporated into curriculum so that it's not a one-off, but that's actually embedded in lots of places right from K to 12, whether that's about emotions and recognizing emotions, whether that's about asking for help when, you know, re- recognizing signs and symptoms. 
but it's also about healthy school environments and what do we all need to be the be our best selves and so you know having a school that cares about kids that kids feel like they belong that they're not picked on uh, that they can succeed somewhere those are kind of the foundational things that are good for all kids and and so they're working at that stuff is it perfect no but you know i last time i checked nothing in the world is perfect so uh you know but it, it's a huge huge step forward a second thing is is that they work really closely with community partners who can provide some services in schools and we're one of many community partners that can go into schools and provide some service so when teachers recognize that a child might be struggling they can then make a referral and a school-based service can see them and then certainly there are some situations that that require way more than what a school service could provide and so they then segue those those kids sometimes to us sometimes to family doctors, uh, definitely to specialists, but it, it's just being able to provide something for everyone and then funnel up when somebody is identified to be struggling to try and get them where they need to go. That's a huge change from what you described. And I'm telling you, it's a huge change from when I was a kid because I'm twice your age. <laughs> exactly. And even, so I just kind of mentioned what the high school experience was like. Now I grew up in Kitchener, Waterloo. So I went to Resurrection High School. So you know, we had guidance counselors, we had social workers, we had a chaplain um, at our school. So the resources were there if you needed to reach out. Um, how educated they were at the time, probably when it came to mental health, wasn't that great. And then thinking even back further, when I was in elementary school, we had a program called STEAM for uh, self-esteem issues. And there was another program too that I cannot remember off the top of my head, but what made me think of it was your term that you used. Well, these are just behavioral children. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were classified at. We were just behavioral children. We had behavioral issues. Well, we didn't. We had mental health issues and nobody knew it. That's Why right. is it that you taught me what angel dust was in grade four, but no one taught me what bipolar disorder was until I was 14? Why do I need to know what angel dust is as a nine-year-old, but I can't help my own self? So it comes down with, with the education, with the ending the stigma. We have been educated so much with programs like Bell Let's Talk, and we've seen so much money being poured into the Canadian Mental Health Association and into mental health services. What kind of other services are there now for younger kids in elementary school? There's a lot more in the high schools. Are we seeing more counselors in elementary schools? Are we seeing um, talks of mental health in the classroom with children and presentations on these kind of things as well. So I would say the focus in the elementary school would be more around the skills and, and, and less around any kind of diagnostic kind mm -hmm. of um, uh, situation. Uh, and, and I think schools are working hard to do that. I, again, at particularly at a challenging time where it's about, you know, it's, it's been everything that every educator and every parent and every child has had to grapple with to try and deal with virtual learning and going back and forth during a pandemic. But I would also say that COVID has done us a favor in terms of putting a spotlight on the importance of all of us and our mental health. You know, we, we talk, we oftentimes talk about mental health as if meaning both the health part of it, as well as the illness part of it, but really everyone 
has a degree of, of mental health. Mm -hmm. It's a part of physical health. Um, but your the degree of the quality of your mental health may vary depending upon um, whether you're under stress, whether or not you're in a circumstance that is con con contributing to some challenges, whether there might be some genetic or biological explanations to mood um, disorders, that kind of thing. Um, but we all have things we can do to strengthen mental health. And, and COVID has um, kept a spotlight on those that are struggling, but it's also put a spotlight on those that never ever would have struggled except for now they're being impacted by extreme social isolation and uh, not getting the usual things that help them stay strong. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, there's kind of three R's I wanna leave you with. I don't mean leave as in I'm going, but you know, uh, some thoughts for you to consider. Uh, and they're, they're words that we're using in our mental health promotion work right now. We're working on a piece that will actually be in the vaccination clinics in June. That our thought is, man, if you have to sit there and wait 15 minutes, you may as well read a little two-pager about mental health and what you can do to look after yourself and taking your check, your, your, you know, your temperature check on how you're doing and then knowing where you can go for services. So the three R's are replenish, routine and relationship. So replenish are all of those things that feed us and nurture us. So they would be about healthy eating, that would be about um, sleep, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise. And those, those things, while they're not going to prevent you from getting a mental health illness, they are going to be part of your treatment regime. Mm -hmm. And they are part of anybody's ongoing health practices to keep you well. Exactly. Uh, so, so replenish is the first one. Routine is the second. Um, we all benefit from structure. So when we don't have a place to go, when we don't have a commitment, when we don't have a purpose in our life, when there's not a reason to get up in the morning, um, those things fall by the wayside. When people struggle, that's one of the first symptoms you might see is that they start not really feeling like they can do the things that normally would bring them enjoyment or normally they would be required to do. And then when you get out of sync with that, um, you lose the, the benefits that you get from having structure in your life. So again, you know, it's, it's a protective thing to do in order to keep you well. But if you actually find yourself struggling, it's one of the things we'll target in treatment to try and get a routine. Mm -hmm. When you go, if someone ever has to go to an inpatient unit, one of the first things they do is they make you get up. They make you get up, you eat breakfast, you have to get dressed, you have, you have to shower, then get dressed. You, you know, you have to have some kind of routine yeah. and the routine may be simple, but it will be something that offers some structure. And with structure, we find comfort, we do. Um, you know, and kids, kids need structure. So that's been one of the challenges for our families right now, you know, juggling three kids, all being, you know, homeschooled, virtual living, learning while they're trying to do their own jobs Structure is a part of it. And you can create structure where there doesn't seem to be any structure at all. You know, you can create different spaces in a home for kids to be educated in different spots. You can create structure through the routines that you have in your day so that you might, it might go to hell in a handbasket in the middle, but if it started okay and it could end okay, that kind of holds you together. So that's the second R is routine. 
And then the third one would be relationship. And that's where we're all really hurting right now in, in a pandemic. And that's where virtual, like thank God for Zoom. And also I believe we will all have huge end to Zoom parties when we actually can see people in person because- exactly. Zoom doesn't cut it when this is the way you get to hug, you know, the people that matter to you in your life. Yes. So, so relationships are key to us feeling well and um, noticing when we are not feeling well, but we don't notice it ourselves. It's the people who love us. It's the people mm -hmm. who are near us that can then say, you know, are you okay? I'm worried about you. You're not, you, something seems off yeah. or, you know, you just don't seem your usual self. It's, it's the relationships around us that offer us strength when we don't feel it. And it's the, it's the being connected to others that is just so important to us as human beings. So that's the third R is relationships. Mm -hmm. And even in a pandemic, there's stuff we can do to stay connected, but it doesn't replace that interpersonal in-person connection. Exactly. So, um, so, so there's lots more people struggling because they're missing that connectedness. So. Exactly. There are people who like would not never believe me when I told them that I have social anxiety. If you were like, Caitlin, I'm having a barbecue, you know, in 2035, when this is all over, you're enjoy you're invited over. I would find every excuse in the book to not go because my anxiety would be through the roof. But well, look at you, look at you doing podcasts. <laughs> look at me do this. People would never believe it because one-on-one -on -one, I'm great. Or you could put me in a room and be like, Caitlin, you're giving a presentation to a hundred strangers. Perfect. I don't know any of them. So I don't care what they think of me because I'm probably never going to see them again in my life. That's the way my brain works. But if you put me in a small social group where I know a couple people, and then there's a little bit more that I don't know, I will completely shut down. And I've been like that since since a child. So then you're told you're shy because yes, of course, your parents think that they know you best because they spend the most time with you. And one of the things you mentioned that I really loved when it came to youth mental health services is kind of not avoiding, but not deliberately putting a diagnostic to a child because you grow so much, your mental health will grow with you. In 2011, I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, um, I've had a couple panic attacks and I was told I have bipolar like behaviors and bipolar like episodes, but I'm not bipolar as I've grown and testing has continued and medication and therapy and counseling have gone. They said, you know what? No, you don't have bipolar like tendencies. You're not bipolar. It's just more and deeper depression. And so as you grow, I really like not sticking that diagnostic to something because that can always change, but it's knowing how to handle those symptoms and, and what that diagnostic would technically be. For sure. For sure. There's a, um, uh, consultant we work with. He's a professor at uh, Dalhousie in, in Nova Scotia. His name's Dr. Michael Unger. And I think you would really enjoy his stuff. So I would urge you to Google him uh, because nice. he focuses on resiliency and, and helping kids, you know, become more sturdy and being able to navigate life's challenges. So uh, Dr. Michael Unger, U-N-G-A-R. Um, what I would say is in our work with him, he's helped us really recognize that um, if we shift our focus from fixing the child or 
fixing the person who you know is struggling to um, collecting the people around that person who can help them get what they need. You change you change your approach completely because it's not about diagnosis, although there may be some diagnoses and there may be some value in medication and there may be some value in some therapies. Like, don't get me wrong, we do those things too. But it's amazing what you can do when you are willing to look at what can we do around, what can we do to change the environment that the child's living in such that we can bring out the best in them and that they can, um, they can, they can grow and, and um, focus on things that are strengths and, and in time be able to look at those things that are harder. So his one book, it's called uh, PS, I love you nine things kids, all kids need. And it's just a fabulous way of recognize that sometimes the distress is a sometimes the behavior is a way of saying what they need. And if you can understand that and provide it, it's amazing how sometimes the behavior goes away. That's not to say that there aren't real problems, but it's, it's amazing how um, it just offers you a fresh view of what, what's possible. Uh, we just came off a call with him today and it, it's, uh, so it's fresh in my mind. We were talking about a particularly challenging situation. And, you know, it was amazing just by how he asked the questions that you, you thought about the situation in a different way, and it gives you new ideas. So I would certainly urge that as some reading for your listeners. And um, it, it certainly brings lots of hope. Uh, it, uh, it does build resilience. And frankly, that's what we all need to be doing is building our psychological strength to be able so that we can manage the things that get thrown at us. Hmm. And sometimes those things are inside. Sometimes there are circumstance. Sometimes they are life happenings. But if we can develop those psychological muscles that allow us to, um, to figure out what do we need so that we can navigate that challenge, um, then, you know, there's a lot that there's a lot of healing that comes with all of that. Exactly. And I mean, thinking back on my own experiences and stuff like that, talking about ending the stigma and how to properly look for these symptoms in children and, and care for them in our youth is so important because being able to, to identify it early can ultimately save so many lives and save so much heartbreak and, and pain in individuals with their battles of mental health and you know, it's, it's, I love the working with the parents as well, because no parent wants to hear that their child has a mental health issue. That's heartbreaking because at the end of the day, you sit there, if you're like me, you're going to sit there and go, well, it's my fault. I did something wrong. I'm a horrible parent. And I, I did something that wrong. That's my right. Child. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so much freeing to not think about it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another uh, document I wouldn't mind pointing you to because yeah. I think it's a, it would be a great one to promote. And it's, it's um, a report that the Social Research and Planning Council of United Way, Perth County, Perth Huron, um, uh, did uh, uh, shining a spotlight on mental health and addictions. And so part of the purpose of doing that report was to update the community around improvements that have been made because you know there there are challenges with the system i don't want to color coat that or or sugarcoat that um 
but there have been improvements mm -hmm. and it would be important for people to know that whatever their experience might've been 15 years ago, it, you know, might be quite different today. A second reason is that, um, people don't understand how to get help because they don't know where to go. There are multiple pathways into to uh, receive mental health um, support and services. And so it was a way to try and describe how the system operates. There isn't a one stop, although we do have a helpline in crisis program that makes sure that everyone gets to where they need to go. Um, but some people start with their family doctor. So it's important for people to know that, that family doctors and family health teams have resources. Some people start at the school because it's the school that has flagged that something seems to be not right and, and you might need some help. And so there are school services. And then there are agencies like here in Perth Centre. We're the only child and youth one, but there are five other community partners I work with that provide adult mental health and addiction services. And so we wanted to make sure people knew where the services were. And then we wanted to help people understand that it's a journey. That it's that you know you might present at five and somebody thinks it's X, and then you might not show up again until twelve and it will look like something else. And they might be two different problems, or they might be the same one, but it will look a little different over the lifespan and depending upon what's happened. So just recognizing that it's a bit of a journey um, is helpful. And so there are some three great client stories, people with lived experience that talked about what it was like to get help and to try and figure out how to navigate, you know, where, where did they find, you know, that they got some, some help. And, and that, that highlights that it's a journey. One of the stories is about the fact that we're not always ready to accept help when others think we need help. You know, there are stages of change. You might not be ready to receive help when it might be your, your family members that know that you need it. Or you might be wanting help, but the help's not ready. It's, it's not immediately available and then you lose your motivation. It waxes and wanes because frankly, we all get a little tired at working at this stuff. Sometimes you need a little break from, from treatment and, and services. So it, it's a bit of a journey that way. And then certainly we know it's a journey if the problems started in childhood and they stay with you throughout your adult life, you've got to leave a system that focuses on the child within the context of family and all the other players that are around a child to the adult system that expects you to, to go by yourself and tell your story and not necessarily take your significant other with you and, and it, so it's hard. It's a hard jump to go from the child and youth system into the adult system. We're trying to make some changes in that uh, in a way to make that transition a little easier. But, but the fact is adult services are organized different than child services. So, you know, just having an appreciation of what it's like over the lifespan. And I, I suspect that you will, you'll, you'll find some aha moments in reading that. So it's called, um, forward together and it's on the united ways website the united way perth huron just released this month uh in celebration of uh, mental health month perfect so now mental health can be a great conversation to have it can be a sad conversation i mean not all the statistics are fun to talk about not everything is great when it comes to mental health and the one thing i remember 
there was like when I was diagnosed, um, it was first ever Bell Let's Talk Day. And I was working at CTV in Toronto and I was editing an interview with Michael Landsberg. Michael Landsberg, who has been on this podcast before, he was someone at the time that I idolized the crap out of. I wanted to be the next Landsberg. I wanted to be when he retires. I wanted OTR. I like I would have loved that. He was someone I looked up to, someone I idolized. And I'm just sitting here. And everything he was saying about what it's like to be Michael Landsberg day in and day out, I was like, oh, that's me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe I'm not weak. Maybe I'm just sick. And I mm-hmm. love the sick, not weak family on Twitter and social media run by him. I highly recommend checking it out. I um, agree. If you haven't, he is a fantastic human being. And if it isn't for people like you and people like him that are able to just be honest about mental health, the services, the history of it, we wouldn't be where we are going in the right direction. So I I agree. You're on personal Thank you. Uh, well, thank you for having me. And I, I'll leave you with uh, our website. If anyone wants to check out Child and Youth Mental Health Services, uh, our, our services in Huron and Perth, it's www.hpcenter.on.ca. Um, if you are an adult listening and you don't know where to begin, um, our helpline, not, not Huron Perth Center's helpline, the helpline that's offered through Huron Perth Healthcare Alliance, it's called the Huron Perth Helpline and Crisis Response Team. The number is 1-888-829-7484. And uh, non-urgent calls, they may not respond right away, but they will definitely get back to you and let you know what resources might be appropriate to your particular situation. Because sometimes it's just hard to know where to begin. Exactly. There's also a good website. Um, it's um, southwesthealthline.on.ca. And that gives you lots of resources. So awesome. Well, we're going to link your website into uh, the caption for this episode. You can find Desks and Dusters on all your favorite streaming sites, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and CastBox. We are going to spread this one wide and far because youth mental health services is something that's not talked about very often. When we think about mental health, we think about more teenagers, early 20s and 30s. We don't think about children. We don't, we don't remember that mental health does not see age it does not see gender it does not see religion it sees nothing it is a scientific imbalance within your brain and sometimes it can be triggered other times it is not so this is a great conversation to have i highly 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 recommend um if you are a parent just go on and check out the website there's no harm in educating yourself to know the signs and symptoms to look at in your children, your children's friends, the neighborhood kids, there is nothing wrong with being a little bit more educated on a topic we all should have been educated about in school heavily. And it's great to see that they now are. So Terry, thank you so much for joining me on Desks and Dusters this afternoon. Thank you. Remember the three R's, replenish, routine, relationships. Thanks. Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this afternoon. Thank you to everyone here on Perth Center for what you do, the importance of mental health services for youth and children and identifying those symptoms and having those open and honest conversations with your children, whether it's child to uh, student, whether it's parent to child, uh, whether it's a loved one, someone that they uh, can trust, 
having those conversations, trust me, believe me, I wish someone would have had that with me when I was younger. I wish these services, the information was available when I was a child because who knows how different I would have turned out then. And all the heartache and pain and everything that I went through with my mental health undiagnosed as a child could have been way different. So I am so happy that we have somebody like Terry with the Huron Perth Center and everything that they do, and that these services are not just utilized here within our community, but all across the province and nation as well. So our land acknowledgement for this episode, I forgot to do at the top of the hour. So here it is. We here in North Perth sit on Anishinaabewaki, Mississauga, Mississauga of the First Credit Nation and Odawa land. That is the land that was originally uh, occupied by those peoples, our native brothers and sisters. So next up, we've got a couple more episodes this month, you guys, all based on different topics, resources, tips for mental health. We are going to be joined by the Canadian Mental Health Association here on Perth. We are going to be joined by Michelle from LiveFit to talk about the um, importance and the connection of proper exercise and diet to your mental health on a daily basis. So stay tuned check in next Wednesday. We're here for you. You are never, ever alone. There are so many resources and people out there waiting to help you. I know sometimes the wait can be long, but there are crisis centers. There are crisis hotlines out there for you to utilize when you need them. Reach out to family members, reach out to loved ones, start having those open and honest conversations. They can be so hard, but you guys, I highly, highly, highly recommend them because you have no idea how much better you will feel when you open up and become open and honest about your mental health and what is going on inside your head. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not weak. You are not pathetic. You are sick just like me. It is a chemical imbalance within your brain. There are ways to help. There are ways to cope. You guys, I am medicated. I do counseling. I've done therapy. I have my routines as well, just like Terry talked about. It's not something big, but it's something. And I fight every single day tooth and nail for it. So we will see you right back here next week on Desks and Dusters. Be sure to catch Desks and Dusters on all your favorite podcast platforms like CastBox, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Join us for Desks and Dusters, 3PBJ Cleaning Depot, every other week.